Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba da ba ba ba. Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. It's our own people hurting our own people. The dangers of hip hop. And sometimes people can't seem to separate the lyrics from the actual reality. What's behind the growing number of rappers losing their lives to gunfire? I just think we gotta stop killing us. Then, the African diaspora divided over Putin. We break down why the continent is split over the Russian leader. Keep my wife's name out your mouth! And after the slap seen and heard around the world, we break down why black women's hair is always a target. We're just an easy target, but we need to have more respect for each other. He went up and he protected his woman. And I'm Kendi Rue at the center of all the Oscar action. And my Kennedy Chronicles will take you through the whole night. All that and more. The black news revolution starts right here. It's a real honor to be able to appear here and show love on behalf of my friend, my brother, a great man, a great leader, a great father, a great teacher, and a great friend, Nipsey Hussle. That is an emotional Snoop Dogg at Nipsey Hussle's funeral in 2019. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm Naima Abdullahi. It's been three years since Nipsey was gunned down in Los Angeles, his death rocking the hip-hop world, and gun violence within the hip-hop community continues to escalate, causing the death of so many young rappers. So what's behind the violence? That's tonight's top story. This is another tragic loss for the music industry and the people of this community. Oh my God, I didn't get Nipsey Hussle, are you serious? This talented 33-year-old rapper was shot and killed in the South Los Angeles community he grew up in. Headline after headline of murdered rappers, the violence taking away artists too soon, and the wounds of Nipsey Hussle's death still cut deep three years after his tragic murder. You know, when you kill somebody like Nipsey Hussle, somebody that was going to feed the community, somebody like Young Dolph, uh, I mean, then who are going to step up and take care of these kids? Who's going to step up and take care of the community? Who's going to take care of the elderly? Uh, so we should be preserving these people. Master P, who mentored Nipsey for years, spoke with Revolt Black News Weekly about the root of the problem. I just think uh, we got to stop killing us. So we talk about how the police kill us and we make these big stories about it. But it's so many of us killing us. And that's why we dying young. Um, it's a lack of leadership and it's a lack of education. With a criminal trial underway against accused killer Eric Holder, Nipsey's death still hits the community. Since I lost my brother and my friend, you know what I'm saying? I feel like it hasn't been nobody that can fulfill that void. You feel what I'm saying? Just period. Like I, I haven't met nobody as real as him. I haven't met nobody as as solid as him. His longtime friend notices a common denominator when it comes to violence in hip hop. It's a lot of in-house jealousy. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of jealousy from your own peers. You'll never know. You know what I'm saying? People will be riding with you for a long time and not even knowing they've been they've been they've been plotting on you. And Master P agrees. A lot of people say it oftentimes happens in the artist's hometown. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, that's where you get the most the most hate at. 
where, where you come from because people can't imagine to see you this big superstar now when they used to see you every day in the community in the same hood as them. As the marathon continues, the pain still lingers on for those who knew him. It's our own people hurting our own people. You know, we all need to look at ourselves and realize we're, we're doing exactly what they want us to do, which is kill each other. This gives the next generation a lot to reflect on, like young rapper Jason Jabbar. I think people's first instinct is to just blame the music outright itself and blame like how people, what, what's glorified in music or what's rapped about. But a lot of people, honestly, music is self-exploration. Music is art. So a lot of people are literally rapping their environment. A lot of people are like contextualizing the surroundings that they know. Three years after Nipsey's death, the tragic trend still continues. It's just another great debate, and I'm just happy that his name is a part of those conversations. Joining me on a discussion about this, we have Miss Reese, veteran hip-hop music exec, along with DJ Pretty Boy Tank, who is a radio personality in the city of Atlanta and also a well-known DJ, along with Amir Shah, journalist and hip-hop historian. Thank you so much for joining us. So there's been more than 30 murders since we lost Nipsey Hussle. What do you think is going on? Um, I think it starts with the record labels. And, and, and if they're going to produce these, produce these artists and, and not really take accountability for their actions, you know, what's really, what's really be, being done? So my whole thing is that we really need to have uh, more conversations about not just, not just the lyrics per se, but what's happening in our communities street by street, block by block. Sometimes people can't seem to separate the lyrics from the actual reality. Mm. So that's a big problem. Like, what do you mean by that? Lyrics versus actual reality? You know, sometimes it's just, it's not real. It's a song. So, you know, in certain households, they're not taught that this is, you know what I'm saying, not reality. This is fictitious, so exactly. It's not real. And, you know, in certain households, like I'm gonna say mine, for instance, uh, you know, you talk to separate, this is rap, some of this is real, some of this is not. Reese, when you take on an artist who may not have a perfect background, how do you kind of help them actualize their dreams but also tell them what they should or shouldn't avoid? Any new artist, I'm not taking on an artist that's doing all of that. Like all the beef stuff, you're beefing, I'm not doing that because I've been in the middle of some of the biggest stuff. I don't even entertain artists. Once I hear your music and I feel like you beefing with people in your neighborhood or whoever, or even another artist, I, I'm not doing it. Have the streets become the music industry or has the music industry become the streets? It's a little bit of both. So we have to understand that our communities, there's a lot of trauma within our communities. Um, historical trauma, starting you go back to the 60s and the 70s, uh, the, riot, the, Watts, the riots in Watts and um, you know, things that were happening in the Bronx and New York in the 70s and the crack epidemic in the 80s what was happening in the 90s, we get the crime bill. So this is a, a thing that's been ongoing within our communities. And in the beginning, rap was just telling the stories of what happened. It was like rap was the CNN for our communities. At a, at a point, it became a commodity. And when it becomes a commodity, now the violence becomes a package that you can sell. And you have people who are not even really from the streets selling a package that's not even their real lifestyle. So now you now you have to understand, you gotta kinda disseminate, okay, is this someone who's real or are they really pushing violence is to sell records. So that's something that we have to really look at our community and say, okay, is this real, you know, reporting from our communities or is this something is this someone who is actually trying to use the pain of black people to make a profit? So that's what we have to understand and really have to take back. So I think it's a little bit of both. And it's just a history of our trauma within our communities that we have to address. 
Tank, for nine years you knew Bankroll Fresh. In Atlanta, his legacy is something that you keep alive every single day. As a radio DJ, as someone so close to his family, um, how did that impact you when we lost Bankroll Fresh? Um, you know, it impacted me a lot because we were at a turning point, basically, where he was getting ready to be that next big star out of Atlanta. Mm. And then all of a sudden, everything is taken away from you. So um, it impacted me a lot. I tell people um, I was actually depressed for a year. And that taught me to, you know what I'm saying, go and seek therapy. As far as a DJing standpoint, you know, it's kind of tricky because it's so many rappers who have beefs with each other that you might be DJing and you can't play certain people's songs while you're DJing because they might have a problem or issue or beef with that person's song that you're playing. What solutions? should the industry really look at to make sure that this violence within the industry that impact artists like this trend doesn't continue? It really is, is nothing that nobody could do if a, set, if a person is set on doing what they want to do. It's, it's really not the gangs. It could be one person that set off everything, and it could be a person that's not in a gang. When Nipsey passed, uh, the Bloods and the Crips, they agreed to a truce, and they did a, um, a rally in, in uh, South Central Los Angeles. I was there to cover it, and you saw that, you know, individuals from, you know, Los Angeles is like a culture of gangs. It's something that's Im embedded within our communities, and let's, let's talk to them and understand, okay, how do we make sure that violence doesn't get out of control? Because that's in the back of the days, the OGs made sure that the, the violence didn't get out of control. And now the OGs are locked up, and now you have people who, you have youngest, youngest who are running around and, and not really taking accountability for their actions. I don't know if you can eliminate gangs, but I think while they're here, I think we have to kind of reach them and say, okay, this is what we have to do to make sure that we don't perpetuate this violence for the next generation. Reese, DJ Pretty Boy Tank, and Amir, thank you all for chiming in as we search for solutions within the industry to make sure this trend doesn't continue. Thank you all so much. Stick around. More Revolt Black News Weekly is ahead, and we'll be right back. Keep my butt. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. That was a furious Will Smith demanding Chris Rock to keep his wife's name out of his mouth after the comedian took a jab at Jada Pinkett Smith for being bald-headed. Welcome back. In our community, finally, that moment opened up a bigger conversation not only about hair loss, but why black women are always the target. G.I. Jane 2, can't wait to see it, all right? A joke that went horribly bad given Jada's journey with her hair and the autoimmune condition alopecia, which she hasn't been shy about sharing. Y'all know I've been struggling with alopecia and just all of a sudden one day, look at this line right here, look at that. When I first heard the joke, I think my reaction was more so to how Jada responded initially. Like there was like a physical type of like eye roll. Alopecia is a disease. It's a symptom of an autoimmune disorder. And so I was definitely shocked by the actual reaction of Will, but also understood that there's a, a level of 
loss and pain that's associated with that disease that we're not privy to. I was in the shower one day and then just handfuls of hair just in my hands. And I was just like, oh my God, am I going bald? This might be somebody's breaking point. This might not be a time where, hey, I think it's funny. You're talking about my family. You're talking about my last name. You're talking about my legacy. And you're trying me as a man. Black hair! Would you like to buy some black hair? And this is Chris Rock, the same guy who made a whole documentary about black hair and how black people's hair, especially black women, is their glory. Um, there's a lot of racism behind it, a lot of discrimination behind it. This is a lot of self-esteem issues behind it. And then you felt that it was okay at, at the first time that the Oscars ever was all black production that I'm gonna make fun of a black woman. Well, you know, when it comes to our hair, our hair is really rooted in a lot of historical experiences. I mean, we go from, even from the, the slave trade, our heads being shaved immediately. And so it being so tied again to our identity. And then as black women, um, how our hair has been under attack and how we are accepted in society. And to know that that standard has always been a Eurocentric white standard, that when it comes to those, those jokes, I feel that it continues to perpetuate that attack against black women. I can see why Will was upset, because not only is it you're making fun of our woman in front of the world, you know, in front of all these other cultures, it's my wife. I, I totally understood it, but in this particular instance, as well in other instances when it comes to comedians, you know, when you say things for a laugh, they're at, typically at someone else's expense unless you're talking about your own life. And so, you know, sometimes there's consequences for that. I don't give two craps what people feel about this bald head of mine, because guess what? I love it. Not only have I dealt with clients that have alopecia, I myself have uh, dealt with alopecia in the past, uh, as well as my sister, but dealing with it when it comes to, you know, my clients, uh, in a lot of cases, I'm their last hope or their last resort, where they've tried to cover it with wigs, um, you know, they've tried to slick their hair down, they've tried, I mean, they've tried everything. And so by the time they come see me, uh, in most cases uh, where alopecia is the issue, you know, they're at their wits end and, and they're looking at me to help them find a solution, something that would make it uh, bearable for them to see themselves. The pain of this form of hair loss is that there's no cure. And so for black women, when it comes to losing their hair and, and not having the choice of whether they shave their heads or go bald or choose to wear a wig. Um, it's a very painful experience that, that requires a lot of support. The internet has given people a platform that we want to say what we want. We got the confidence and even comedians. I get it. You're trying to be funny, but guess what? Everything is not a joke. You got to be able to take abuse. You got to be able to have people talk crazy about you. In this business, you gotta be able to have people disrespecting you. And you gotta smile and you gotta pretend like that's okay. 
Joining us to talk more about this is psychologist and humanitarian Dr. Diamond White and author Tariq Nasheed. Thank you both for joining us. Now, given the recent Oscars talk, what are the different ways that black people are interpreting Will Smith's actions? I see a lot of people on the fence about it. Some people are kind of justifying what Will did. Then he went up and he protected his woman. Some people said he went overboard. He took it to a level that he shouldn't have taken it to. Now, my conjecture is I don't think Will should have went on stage and hit Chris Rock. I don't think that was justified, but I understand the lengths that some people will go to protect the honor of their significant other if they feel that their significant other is being attacked. I'm all for men, you know, protecting their wives and all of that, but you know, there's definitely a time and a place for everything. And it had that been me, I would have stopped him. I would have been like, I would have been happy that he wanted to protect me, but I would have stopped him from going that far because it could have went completely left and not been a very good look. From what I understand, and this is not to justify harming Chris Rock because I like Chris Rock and I like Will Smith, but Chris Rock has taken jabs against the Smith family for a long time. Now that's comedy. The comedy stage is sacred, but we do have to understand sometimes things can go left when you're doing that stuff in person. Not to justify it, but we just have to understand sensitive times out here and there's only so much some people can take so you have to tread lightly to a certain degree but again i don't justify harming anybody based on words we don't really discuss you know men's mental health in the industry dealing with their emotions and things that they have to deal with on top of being a protector and being a provider and you know you don't really know what to do you're trying to be this man that you know he's admired by his peers and wanted to you know, keep that role. And then over here, your father and your husband and you got your wife looking like, oh, so you're not going to say nothing? So it's just a lot that men also have to deal with and juggle too. My question for you is, does it make some uncomfortable to see a black man protecting his black woman? The thing is, um, black people and black men, we like to protect our families. And there's this thing where black men are supposed to be docile and they like to have submissive beta type of black men around and those are the black men that's supposed to be acceptable and will smith has kind of been put into that that bubble he's the non-threatening fun likable silly guy and to see him stand up and protect this woman like that a lot of people are like okay well, is this guy a threat is this guy the is he non-threatening is this guy not what we think he is so I think a lot of people got uncomfortable with that angle of it, not just the fact that he defended his woman, because they're used to seeing black men stand up for themselves. But to see Will Smith do that, I think that's something that rattled a lot of people because they didn't expect that from Will Smith. There's a recent tweet that has now been deleted that I want to bring up by Judd Apatow. It said Will Smith could have killed him. He went on to say that it was out of control, rage and violence. What do you think about that? They're just using that situation to justify a lot of these anti-black narratives that they've already had. The stuff about Will Smith almost killing Chris Rock. That's a that's a false narrative and that's a projection. He didn't almost kill him. But when it comes to black people, anything we do, they have to magnify it and make it extra and make black people more threatening than what we are. So a lot of people, especially in Hollywood and, and a lot of other folks from the dominant society, they've been chiming in on this with a lot of racist tropes. And a lot of them have been deleting some of these things that they are saying, because this is bringing up a lot of their um, 
racism that they want to justify anyway. So this is why I've been telling a lot of black folks, don't worry about how the dominant society is going to view you. Because I've seen a lot of black people saying, oh my God, this is going to make us look so bad to the white people. I'm not going to say that it's, you know, he fed into, you know, black men are violent because um, white men are violent and Hispanic men are violent. You put anybody in a situation that upsets a person, anybody can be violent. I've seen white people do way more violent stuff in the public eye. It's just not looked over. It's not looked at as bad because they're not black. But when you are black, then, you know, it's highlighted in a different light and it's looked at a lot worse than if it were to be of another ethnicity. They already look at us sideways. So our job is to not worry about what the dominant society is going to think about us. Our thing is understanding how we can kind of cope with our issues better and and kind of talk it out without having to get physical. That's really where I want us to go. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With that caution that you speak of, why do you think black folks care so much about what white people or what white society thinks? Because we're dominated by the dominant society and we have to go to them for jobs. And our, um, uh, for, in many cases, we do. We don't really have to, but a lot of us do. So a lot of black people think we can't get things popping on our own unless we get their approval. So that that's a, a holdover from a, a plantation mentality and a colonized mentality. We have to start looking at each other and understand that we can do for ourselves and we don't have to get the approval, for, approval of anybody. How do you feel about mainstream Hollywood wanting Will Smith arrested? Yeah, I hear some people saying that and they're, they're talking about they want him arrested and some people are even talking about his Oscar needs to be taken away. So if we're going to go that route, they need to do the same thing with Roman Polanski, take his Oscar and then and get him arrested because Hollywood, they stood behind people like that who did much, much worse. So again, there's so many racial undertones to this thing and we have to call everybody out for a lot of the race baiting that they're doing. Tariq Nasheed, Dr. Diamond White, thank you both for weighing in on this discussion. We appreciate your time. And coming up, we break down the African diaspora's divided opinion on Russia and Vladimir Putin. That Kennedy is dropping all the post-Oscars tea, and we're not talking about Will and Chris Rock. That's up next. Welcome back. African countries are often depicted as a monolithic in the mainstream, but there's a new litmus test that's showing just how different the 54 countries are. Vladimir Putin. As the Russian-Ukraine crisis has now passed the one-month mark, one thing is clear, African countries cannot agree when it comes to Putin. Now, what's behind the African nations thinking twice about calling out Russia? Joining me for this diaspora discussion, we have Zimbabwean tourism director Shanita Foster, journalist Uchechi Chinyere, and Nigerian-born politician Gabe Okoye. Thank you all for joining us today. Shanita, let's really break this down. A quick glance shows how how divided the continent is on the Russian invasion. Why is there a long list of African countries that have not condemned Putin's attacks on Ukraine? When you look at Africa as a whole, they're already crippled for many reasons that we can talk days and days about, and it can't afford to be crippled anymore or put in a position 
um, to go into a fight that's uh, not necessarily theirs. Um, Africa has continued uh, to be the victim when it comes to human rights, unfair elections over the years. Yet, most of the times, other continents uh, have cared to say nothing when it comes to what's going on in Africa. So, I mean, right now, when you look at it from a standpoint, uh, there's no reason uh, that I can see from a standpoint that this is their fight in this moment right now. Neutrality is not uncommon for a lot of countries, um, as we see with the United States regards to a lot of African countries or European countries regarding, you know, Asian countries when there is conflict there. Um, there was... Uh, you know, conflict going on in the, the Congo for years before anybody stepped in. Same thing with Rwanda. So I think that the concept of neutrality is not expected of African countries because um, we're expected to follow along with whatever is the most, you know, whoever is considered to be the power of the day. Russia signed a military cooperation agreements with Nigeria and Ethiopia, Africa's two most populous nations. Trade between Russia and African countries has doubled since 2015. We're talking about 20 billion a year. When we look at the investment Russia has had in the continent, do you think that plays a role in what decision different countries make? It may have, Okay. but here's the problem. Mm -hmm. The two countries you mentioned, actually Nigeria voted against Russia. Here's what I believe. Uh -huh. It's not really about Russia, it's about China. Hmm. China implicitly supports Russia in this war. And some of these countries are indebted to China. So what do they do? They're going to try to please the, Chi the, uh, the, the Chinese, and that is why you see them not voting or voting uh, uh, against the resolution. Mm -hmm. In so, the case of uh, Eritrea, mm -hmm. uh, just look it up. Uh, China is in bed with Eritrea. They forgave some loans, gave more, and have been investing heavily in Eritrea, trying to get through the Horn of Africa through Eritrea. Listen. Africa is not a monolith, all right? Uh, every country has their own interests, and they vote according to that interest. It was in the best interest of Eritrea to please China. So that vote wasn't really for Russia or anybody else, but for China. Mm. That's, that's why I believe they voted the way they did. And many other African countries that chose to abstain may have done so just for the same reason. Mm. So when we look at the wide range, you have Eritrea. On the other end, you have Kenya. Kenya took a strong approach and directly called out Russia. Kenya is gravely concerned by the announcement made by the Russian Federation to recognize Donetsk and Luhansk regions of Ukraine as independent states. Ghana also made strong uh, statements as well. Is there any risk for speaking up against Putin? I think wisdom is the ability to choose your battles. Uh, you never go into a battle that you're not equipped for. If you look at what's going on across Africa, we're actually going into election years for a lot of countries right now. And those countries' main focus right now is getting their personal countries together. They, they want to speak out, but they're 
is not something that they're willing to engage in actively right now. There are 54 countries in Africa. Mm -hmm. Now, even in this one United States of America, one country, some states don't even quite go along with what the federal government wants to do. And it is not quite, uh, I think it's probably absurd to think that Africa, you know, well, everybody will go to the line. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I really don't think that speaks well of Africa, if that actually is the case. Okay, so it is expected that out of 54 countries, that there has to be some uh, disagreements. It's not even, I don't even call it disagreement because every country is looking out for their economic future. So let's stay on the topic of, you know, that economic gain. Um, Russia has invested in the African economy for decades. Uh, is Putin expecting to be repaid in loyalty right now? Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, with the way the war has gone, it hasn't gone exactly how he had hoped. So uh, you play the game of desperation. Yes, he is expecting that. I think that that is something that is ex very normal for a lot of white colonizers expect countries to be loyal to them um, because of these investments. The way countries are colonized and the way that imperialism works now is looks a lot different than what was going on in the 1900s. And it is in the form of investments. It is in the form of aid. These are all the quote unquote investments that, you know, someone like Russia is like, you know, putting into the continent and expecting that there will be uh, foot, foot soldiers for them once everything is said and done. The South African president stated that he does not want to make an enemy of Vladimir Putin. Should this be viewed as a non-interference approach or a pledge of allegiance to Putin? Again, silence is golden. Don't go into a battle that you're not equipped to handle. Again, these countries, mainly African countries, are fighting to, to regain where they've been crippled for so long by so much. And it's time for them to start looking at what's going on in their independent country and what they can do to better their country. You know, oftentimes... It's funny how the conversation always comes back to uh, what is Africa going to do? What is Africa uh, going to say? But yet the world is always silent on the conversations uh, that has to do with African citizens. So it's like the world is silent when it's beneficial to them. When, when Africa as a continent have called on the aid of other countries, such as the United States, such as the UK, to come in and help them with different situations, and everyone was silent. But then when it's something that's, that's happening globally, it's all of a sudden, well, where's Africa going to stand in this? Where's South Africa? Where's Nigeria on this? Where, where was the same conversation? So I If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. I believe from the stance of South Africa, silence is golden. Right now is not our time to speak. Let's focus on the things that are happening within our country that can help us gain and regain what it is that we need to do to stabilize our country, uh, again, with elections coming up and things that we need to do 
and then let the Westerners deal with what it is that they have going on. As far as I'm concerned, some of the uh, uh, countries that didn't vote, that's abstained, they are trying to exert their independence from either the West or the East. The war is forcing many countries to take sides. And that, that resolution was meant to uh, force countries to take sides. It's the West versus Russia. So um, you see some African countries not uh, taking sides because they don't want to, they want to gain from both sides, both um, from Russia and also from the West. A lot of people missed when Kenya and Ghana also called out imperialism of uh, non-African countries and how um, just because that Russia is doing something like this does not and, you know, we're all at this moment really calling on Russia, you know, to to stand down does not negate the fact that United States and Europe, other European countries have been doing this for hundreds of years. And while we are discussing Russia today, we need to fully discuss the neocolonialism and imperialism of all of these countries and, like, you know, start to focus in on how everybody can leave Africa um, alone for the better. Shanita, Gabe, and Uchechi, thank you all for chiming in on this conversation. We will continue having conversations about the diaspora here on Revolt Black News Weekly. We'll be right back. Imagine this little girl in the backseat of a white Ford Focus. Look into her eyes. You see a queer, openly queer woman of color, an Afro-Latina, who found her strength in life through art. And that's what I believe we're here to celebrate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so to anybody who has ever questioned your identity, ever, 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 or find your, you find yourself living in the gray spaces, I promise you this, there is indeed a place for us. Thank you to the Academy and thank you all. <laughs> What a moment of celebration for Ariana DeBose, who's still on her Oscar high after winning supporting actress for her role in West Side Story. Our Kennedy Rue was on the ground in Hollywood. Hey, Kennedy. Yes, Naima. Well, I'm here, as you can see, and all the streets are blocked off. There are helicopters flying above. And I can tell you what I experienced from the show was outstanding. And that's all coming up in the Kennedy Chronicles, which kicks off our entertainment remix. And that is how the journey to the Academy Awards began with my go-to glam squad. Yes, bronzy, gold. Jazz, who put some magic in my pixie cut, and Amy, who did makeup. All leading up to the one Black-inspired day and night. It was a matter of two hours in the chair before heading in to change for a total transformation. Voila, out of sweats into swanky. But there is a story behind the two-piece from the Atlanta-based Ivy showroom, and it has to do with the color. The dresses that I originally chose for Oscars got stuck in Hong Kong, and we had to make do with what we had, and it actually ended up being very serendipitous because my friend um, passed away in January, and orange was his favorite color. 
but the fact that I'm wearing an orange dress today feels like he kind of picked it out for me. Well, it certainly played well for the camera and the red carpet, which was rich in blackness. This is who I've been wanting to speak to, Revolt Black News, because this is, you know, the only official official. Our chairman P. Diddy hit the carpet with his daughter Chance by his side and was over the top at Sunday's history-making moment. It's a blessing to, to not just be, you know, have representation. Um, you know, I take my hat off to the Oscars. They, 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 they put some of us in power. Oscars producer Will Packer is still claiming victory as the broadcast saw a jump in ratings over last year. I did not know that this year was going to be the most exciting Oscars ever. And the Oscars this year were infused with HBCU pride. The chairman and host Regina Hall representing Howard, Will Packer representing FAMU, Samuel L. Jackson representing Morehouse, which is across the street from my alma mater, Spelman College. We love to see it. I was chronicling the day on social media from my ride up to the theater to the walk down Oscars red carpet to my vantage point from Beyonce's opening number and the Meg Thee Stallion performance. And the fashion was on point from Zendaya's stunning Valentino to Tracy Ellis Ross's plunging Carolina Herrera and Jada's rockin' Jean Paul Gaultier. We brought the fashion, and the men didn't disappoint. Daniel Kaluuya in Aqua Prado, while Wesley Snipes in Burgundy Givenchy. Will, meanwhile, in Dolce & Gabbana, took his Oscar to the Vanity Fair party to celebrate his win. All right, Naima, that's a wrap here for me at the Oscars. I'll see you when I get back to Atlanta. All right, Kennedy, thank you so much for that report. See you back here. And we'll be right back with our Revolutionary of the Week. That's up next. Issa? Is that me? Oh, throwback me. This new look is working for us. Do you like this? And we got our braces off. Let me see them teeth. Let me see them teeth. Ah. Let me see them teeth. Ah. Show me how you eat. Ah. <laughs> Are we stupid? This weekend, actor, writer, and showrunner Issa Rae took over the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C. for a three-day celebration of black art and creativity. And we're giving the media mogul her flowers and naming her our Revolutionary of the Week. Insecure? No more. Issa Rae continues to curate authentic storytelling for the culture. Her production company, Hooray, and audio label Radio partnered with the National Cultural Center for a takeover centering and celebrating the work of black creatives. What can people expect? People can expect, um, if you're a creator, you can expect to be fulfilled by meeting other creatives. If you are just down to have a good time, you will have a good time here. We're in the Kennedy Center, we're in the heart of DC, and we have parties, we have panels. We're interviewing some of my favorite people via a sip, drinks. I love that. Teamwork makes the dream work. Absolutely. Very cheesy, but very true. But I mean, obviously, Issa is so funny. Kiki Palmer was among the weekend special guests. The Hooray collaboration focused on black female voices showcased through film screenings, musical performances, and a live taping of the podcast, The Read. And also featured a first look at the highly anticipated new HBO series, Rap executive produced by Sarita Singleton, who got her start as an assistant on the set of Insecure. Well, this is the highlight of my year right now. So the fact that people are excited, the fact that people are gonna be gathered for us, 
really excites me. Like we have such a strong slate of talent, such a strong slate of people that I'm fans of, and I'm just excited for people to hopefully have the time of their lives out here. Now a fully realized mogul putting on the next generation of black creatives. DC, thank you so, so much for sipping with us. Issa Rae reigns supreme. So as we continue to celebrate Women's History Month, we raise a glass to Issa. All right, that does it for us. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.